Welcome back to our podcast without a podcast, pottering around the roped off. off oh, no, I got to start that again. There's a cat in my periphery. <laughs> no. Frost is on a diet now, too, so she's mad. How, how overweight is she? I mean, she's round. Well, yeah. <laughs> she's All cats are round. She's, she's, uh, she's, she's round from multiple directions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's a way of putting it. Yeah. I hear you. You're fine. Welcome back to our podcast with that podcast, pottering around the roped off bit of magical swamp proudly displayed as the remains of Mangum Reeds. We are three muggles who would also sell an article on Harry for enough money to go crumplehorn snorkack hunting in Sweden this summer. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? I, again, Sarah, you have ma- a marvelous art of just calling up perfectly and summarizing what this podcast is, and that opening is just <laughs> so dead on. It's the last opening for book five, guys. Oh. It, yes, it, it is delightful, and I, I love the idea that uh, the love goods are still stuck in 1800s England, where, <laughs> you know, th- they're they're going on a hunting safari with any, like, scrap of money that they happen to have, because mm-hmm. they, they are of that crust of society. They are like those um, absolutely batshit people who were uh, hunting for new species in the 1800s. Oh, yes. Cryptozoologists. Um, yes, exactly that. So we are on... I, I don't even know what, chapter 38? It's what is it? chapter, yeah, chapter 38. 38, 38 the um, very last chapter of the fifth book of Harry Potter, The Second War Begins. Yep. We have some segments um, that we do here. BJ, you are trying to cut So in. I do have a question. What no, on no, earth? No. We haven't even gotten I, I, you know, to the sections. To, we just have to finish up like this because, you know, we it, really it's not brand. We really and don't. The question that I have is: Do you think that the magical creatures that haven't been cataloged just taste way too good, so they never make it back to the <laughs> Ministry of Magic? Thank you for the QI reference, sir. Uh, yes, uh huh. That feels correct. And feels very in-universe true here too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, that question aside, we have some segments <laughs> that we do here. We have a rapid-fire recap. Uh, BJ's Wizard Wheezes, Newbie's Notes with Spencer, we award house points, and then there are questions um, and queries, but we've already done one of them, so I'm pretty sure we're done here. Exactly, we're all out. And it's also the end of the book, so everything is explained and nothing is left to think about. Uh, In in terms of recap, Sarah, this is the famous, infamous last chapter of a Harry Potter book. It's not as bad as the. It's not as bad as the Dumbledore explain everything chapter necessarily, but it's still a lot that's thrown at you in the last few pages. Well, Harry just wanders around for 30 pages uh, and talks to 27 different people. So Mm -hmm. about things that may or may not matter. I don't know. This would be a possible chapter to put on stage in terms of all the sets they'd have to jump to real fast. But correct. How how do you feel you're going to recap it? I don't know. Spencer, have you been keeping track of points this book? God, no. Or are we past that? Okay. I, 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 I have notes I could refer to, but I have no live knowledge of what it is. <laughs> Perfect. Um, in that case... Kind of how house points are uh, true, divvied yeah. up in we're, the end. We're just going to adjust them at the last second. We, ha- we also have a like weird swerve on the house points at the end of this book, and who is awarding them at the last minute to our mm-hmm. to our people. Um, I, I'm going to go under two minutes. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I... The first round of these notes was, as always, 30 seconds over time, and I did not check again. So there we go. Do right. we, you do have a stopwatch. For, for one last time, for book five, the stopwatch is ready. Okay. <clears throat> the Daily Prophet quotes Fudge on Voldemort's return, although the actual incident at the Ministry is being hushed up. Harry, Hermione, Ginny, Luna, and Neville are visiting Ron in the hospital wing, commenting on how the Prophet has suddenly become very complimentary of Harry once again. Things at Hogwarts are mostly back to normal with Dumbledore's return, although Umbridge is also in the hospital wing, suffering from some sort of PTSD. 
Harry hasn't told anyone about the prophecy, letting them believe it was lost. Harry hightails it to Hagrid's to avoid any more questions. He runs into our favorite Slytherins who are pissed about their respective fathers being in Azkaban. Malfoy's full of threats, but Harry can't be bothered, really. Snape intervenes, tries to take house points, realizes Gryffindor doesn't have any, but McGonagall appears to add some more for um, alerting the world to Voldemort's return. Harry escapes to Hagrid's cabin, who has been hiding up in the mountains. Grop's certainly glad he's back. Hagrid tries to make Harry feel better about Sirius, but he doesn't want to hear it, and he leaves for the lake feeling misunderstood. Days later, Harry's still unhappy, and even more so at having to go back to Privet Drive. Harry's packing when he finds the package Sirius had given him. Use it if you need me. He opens it to find an old mirror with a note from Sirius explaining that it's a two-way mirror and that he's got the other one. As a Hail Mary, Harry tries it. When nothing happens, uh, he hurls it into the trunk, shattering it, but he's got another idea and takes off to find nearly headless Nick. He's got some questions about ghosts. Nick's been expecting them and does not want to have this conversation. Not everyone can come back as a ghost. Only wizards and very few choose to. Sirius will not come back. Nick explains, I was afraid of death. I chose to remain behind. I know nothing of the secrets of death, for I chose my feeble imitation of life instead. Miserable, Harry runs into Luna, who's putting up signs asking for all the things people stole from her over the year as a prank. Harry's appalled, but Luna's pretty sanguine about it. Harry remembers that um, she could see the Thestrals too. Her mother died, but she thinks she'll see her again. She heard the voices behind the veil as well. Uh, This is the talk that helps. On the train home, we learn that Cho's now seeing Michael Corner and Jenny's uh, dropped from dropped him for Dean uh, Dean Thomas and Ron's incensed. Mad-Eye, Tonks, and Lupin are there to escort him as he, as are the Weasleys, and all of them come face to face with the Dursleys, who are either furious or terrified. Uh, The guard has some things to say to them about the way they've been treated, and Harry takes off for the car. I am well over time. I also have no idea what those last couple of sentences meant. The (laughs) 211.41. Syntax on them did not make any sense. Nor did my reading of them, so we will get there. Hey, DJ. go it's, ahead, it, DJ. It's on brand. It yeah. is. Did you have some semicolons and ellipses? Because probably, <laughs> uh, I am quite disappointed in that dis- in that um, performance. But we will get it back with the next book. Uh, you we had will. like four or five in a row, so you had to have one. Uh, had one have in one. there somewhere. Hadn't had one. Uh, this is a honestly, this is kind of a disaster of a chapter anyway. So. <laughs> BJ, what are we wheezing about? So I'm going to first wheeze about something that is not in the chapter, but is hilarious. uh, And Spencer doesn't have. So after the book, there is this weird, uh, I I know that there's a name for it, but a shaped poem, basically, of dedication at uh, the end of the book. Uh, Those are in all of them. uh, Well, I haven't read... The physical copy. I know, I'm just telling you that they are in all of the physical copies of said book. And the art director is so full of himself, and I, I'm here for it. Uh, he, he tells us, The text was set in 11.5 Adobe Garamond, a typeface on the, based on the 16th century type designs of Claude Garamond, redrawn by Robert Slimbach in 1989. I mean, th- there's just something no so reason. perfect about <laughs> about the art director doing this in a essentially shaped poem uh, that is that I'm here for. Uh, I-, I want more people to put weird things into books because they are crazy. <laughs> I um, I agree. I also I always appreciate knowing what the typeset is, but mm-hmm. um, I it is somewhat rare that you get the actual history of the typeset. Um, mm-hmm. And it is never in a diamond. Yep. <laughs> uh, and it's rarely telling you where, like, the book was bound and printed and, and you know, that we didn't use any old growth farce, which is not surprising because basically no paper does. But, you know, whatever. Um, Did you read about the illustrator? Uh, yes, I, I also read about the illustrator. And I'm also curious whether um, the illustrator from St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, is, was there for all of the books, uh, because it, it, it seems, I mean, it seems like it is, like, it seems like a consistent art style, but it, it also is interesting to me that she chose somebody not English. Uh, so she, this illustrator did the American editions for all five Harry okay. Potter books. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Interesting. There are different illustrations. The art. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty different. I have the, mm. my, yeah. the first ver- my, my version the of the headers? first book. Yeah, they're all they're all different. Huh. Um, I wish if I knew right off the top of my head where 
your um, sorcerer's stone was? I think I do, but it's in another room, so I won't go get Our it. But they're like stone, my philosopher's that stone. Makes more yes. sense. Um, that actually has like bearing history on, and um, yeah. 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 Anyway. But yeah, they're pretty different. So uh, this is the American illustrator. Hmm. So we're going to start with Lord Thengi. <laughs> <laughs> because um, that tracks. It does. God, it does. This this fudge. Fudge is a politician. Does he know how to look even weaker than he even felt he was before than describing, you know, the great enemy of society as Lord Thingy? But name your opponent, dude. You're supposed to be the representative of the world against this guy. You won't even call him by name because you're obviously still afraid of him. Well, but nobody calls him by name. Well, Well, do. three people do. Three people do. Um, Um, And also, like... I think Fudge thinks his days are numbered. If, I mean, but also, this, this is in print. He could, he could have been like, hey, can you change that to something more reasonable? <laughs> I like to think that he asked, and the prophet was like, mm. Mm. Yeah. No. <laughs> or were you going to say, Spencer? Uh, no, I'm just straight there with you. Is that the, if this is Fudge's swan song, if he thinks like that he's soon going to fail, isn't there all the more the reason that he can you know, set his own history and set his own narrative right now? But no, Lord Thingy is saved for the history books. It's pretty great. Um, we have another uh, double semicolon, which is pretty great. And it, what's even better is it's in a list of things. So we get the important characters uh, and what they're doing in the hospital. And then right after that, we get a, oh, and by the way, there are other less major characters. And we're going to list them all separated with semicolons. Jenny, whose ankle had been mended in a trice by Madame Pomfrey, comma, was curled up at the foot of Hermione's bed, semicolon. Neville, whose nose had likewise been returned to its normal size and shape, comma, was in a chair between the two beds, semicolon. And Luna, comma, who had dropped in to visit, clutching the latest edition of the Quibbler, comma, was reading the magazine upside down and apparently not taking in a word Hermione was saying. And I love that they're all structured exactly the same, have weird clauses exactly the same and our list that are semi-appropriately separated by semicolons. I was going to say like that is an appropriate use of semicolons to separate a list. However, there is no reason to do it when you have not like set the list off from something else with a colon in the first place. Mm -hmm. These could just be sentences. Mm -hmm. Yep. Perfectly fine. We also have a wild colon uh, that, that appears later that is kind of reasonable, but also, like, feels a little misplaced because we could have had it with the lists. <laughs> it's wandered away. Mm. Not unlike Harry, it has gone on quite the journey yep. over the course of this chapter. I wonder if it, too, is uh, similarly angsty. Mm. <clears throat> Might need a high colonic. Anyway, so, Ubley's <laughs> uh, oblivious unction is, is almost great. And it, I don't know, it just doesn't quite, do, like... I don't know. I, I want it to be be something else, but it but it is kind of entertaining. This goes back to like uh, the Doctor Susian namings of uh, the the various potions and and uh-huh. and, and such. Mm-hmm. It, it, is the implication with this thing is that it's a medicinal memory wipe? I mean, it's the, the, the sentence is describing thoughts as being the most dangerous thing, but we've been applying the oblivious unction, and now he's feeling better. Yes, <laughs> I, it feels like the thoughts. The the brain tentacle thoughts scarred Harry in a physical way. Ron. And this is how... Ha- what? Or, Ron. Yeah, Ron, scarred yeah. Ron. Yeah, in a physical way. And this is making his flesh forget. I think yes. only Umbridge could have the same thing. Mm. So um, I like that we get the acknowledgement that, that uh, Flitwick uh, had of the, the, the Great Swamp. Um, that That is... In character, but also I, I just imagine, uh, like the the there's a plaque there that in like really small letters, uh, you know, says right. something like you know this is the best magic that we've had in in Hogwarts for years, or or, or you know, so, you know, a, a testament to to actually how good it was. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I also imagine Miss Norris like scraping. Trying to scrape uh, sand over it every time she walks by. I'm trying to remember, and I can't. And I really hope that it does. Like, obviously, this has been saved for saved for posterity. I'm trying to mm-hmm. remember if it's like referenced in 
either of the two later books of like somebody walking by it or falling into it at some point or I can't remember. I doubt it. That would be pretty great. But I really want it to. Isn't uh, Fantastic Beasts a follow-up? Do you ever go back? Fantastic Beasts happened way before this, yeah. I didn't remember if Mm -hmm. there was like some follow-up thing that it might have been in. Uh, Yeah, I suppose it could be in The Cursed Child, but I do not know. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to breeze over because, Sarah, you always get sad about uh, Umbridge's... uh, Listen, we, we don't the, know what happened. The centaurs before. No one out. knows what I, happened. I, I wanted to ask you guys about that, because the book is being willfully ambiguous about what occurred there. Nobody it's like, knows we, what we, happened. We don't. The trouble we, that she saw? Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> all, all it says is that Dumbledore went out in the woods. We have no idea how he got her back, and he brought her back. We have no idea what happened to her, but she seems perfectly fine. But she's catatonic and covered in kind of branches. And what's going on there? And somehow we very traumatized. Cl- Who knows? I mean, something bad happened it, to this. It's woman. all internal. It's fine. So anyway, Harry becomes witty at least briefly. It it, it it's a, it's a sight to see. He, he uh-huh. real damn witty in his little confrontation with Malfoy. You'd think I've stopped walking around is 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 a pretty great response. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, I think we get a couple of these every book where uh, I think Rowling is like, wait a minute, Harry can't be the dumbest one in the book. I have to show that somehow we'll give him some witticisms at some point and it'll be okay. <laughs> it is the the scantest trail of breadcrumbs to follow. <laughs> It, it, his second one for me was such a zinger. I was expecting Flitwick to take a picture and put it on the wall. I mean, where, it's, where you know, I think it's Malfoy says, "You wait, I'll have you. You can't land my father in prison." And Harry just jumps in. I thought I just had. And it's just at this point, Malfoy's just throwing punches because that's all he's got left. It it really is. Yep. Yep. Um, um, I do. I, I do enjoy. Ah, I do enjoy that Ginny is getting around. I, th- this is this is something that I hope the movies do, but I fear that they won't. Which is Gin- just like oh, they do. Oh, they what? do. In, in like Ginny's every got scene that she's in the background, she's with a different dude. She's she's with several different dudes in the movie. Does, does she mistakenly refer to them as like Tuesday and Wednesday at different points? <laughs> I think that she is always technically dating someone exclusively, but it is rapid fire. <laughs> It, it's serial like like a, a, a daily uh, comic in a newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, it, anything further, BJ? Um, I think that, that that's it for for this uh, uh, this book. Though though I will say in in a last wheeze of disappointment that Tonks only seems to have one T-shirt, and I feel like this was J.K. Rowling didn't feel like coming up with spoofs on band names. And it disappoints me a little bit. Which what what is what t shirt is she wearing? Is it? Um, it is uh, something sisters. Oh, it's the weird sisters. Mm-hmm. It's the weird sisters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rowling came up with one band name, and that yeah. was the and, end of it. And it was the same one in oh. the beginning. It's like yes, yep. I understand that she might have a favorite t shirt or have a bunch from the same one because that's her favorite band, but. I, the, it's you, like the weird sisters are always what's playing on the radio when we're in the Weasley house too. And aren't they who performed at the, at the Yule ball in book four? Yeah. yeah. It, it, uh, BJ, I, 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 if I wanted to offer an in-canon interpretation, you've called out the, the wizarding universe as being culturally dead. And the fact that they basically have only one pop rock act that's performing that everyone listens to may be a further indication of that. That feels. Well, do we know right. that it's pop rock? I, I, I was assuming it was a Twisted Sister kind of reference. Yeah. I want it to be like folk bagpipes. And like, That's it does not have been described enough, for, but, but like in the movies, they interpret it in the most reasonable way, but it definitely wasn't. <laughs> uh, in the movies, it is sort of pop punk, maybe. Mm. That I mean, that tracks with Tonks' description. Yeah. Shall I get going on Spooby's yes. notes? Yes, let's do it. Uh, I mean, are we, are you still a newbie this far in? I, I feel like I can only lose this title once we finish the entire series. And probably uh, once you've seen the movies, too. And that. And the and read the short stories and the spinoff material yeah, and gone to the theme park at least three times. 
You've got many years left of being a newbie. Spencer. We'll get you your own one. To it. Don't t- don't don't tempt me with a good time. Uh, <laughs> in terms of the opening of this chapter, I love the framing of it. Or I feel like even the name of the chapter is the headline of the newspaper. Yeah, that would be mm-hmm. such yep. a just a, a a journalism call to just say the second war begins. Is their giant thirty two font uh, title on the page? You know it was. And then immediately following into the newspaper description is a great way of setting us back up to where the characters then are and then transitioning into them reading said paper. It's a classic style of doing it, but I think it's well executed as a way of framing the beginning of this chapter. Uh, So do you think that the title of every book is a newspaper article? Because they are titled in very, very similar ways. uh, A few of them have Harry Potter in the name, though, don't they? Pretty much all of them. Every... All of them book does yeah well, but i don't i feel i don't feel like the, from what we see here the newspaper's not inclined to call him harry potter yeah yeah i'm That's just true. saying like a different public like sure it's it's more like an in-world publication than an out-of-world publication as you as you've called out before these are all harry potter's own personal journals that he's eventually gotten published and of course he inserted his name at the beginning of what would otherwise be a regular newspaper title that's why the punctuation is so bad it was translated from from you know the original magic script by an author who's doing their best to to make all of the jokes and puns work in our feeble english language with the punctuation that we happen to have it works perfectly in in the uh wizard writing I'm glad we were able to work together this in-canon explanation for how these stories are occurring. Uh, I'm straight there with you. I do delight in how quickly (laughs) the um, newspaper has decided which way the winds are blowing. Uh, The the newspaper had all of about two minutes to completely reverse their stance on any aspect of what was occurring in the Wizarding World and in their assessment of main characters in this story. And from what we've heard about the Daily and now apparently, apparently they call themselves a different name on Sunday, the Sunday Prophet... Uh, Which is a very tracks. British thing to do, yeah. <laughs> it is. Very British. Um, uh, and it it does track. I also love that, like, the Daily Prophet is, will throw anyone under the bus um, to oh, yeah. make their position the one that they have always had. <laughs> there's, there's a very effective amount of double think that's going into play in terms of how they're presenting their stories and how their readership reads them, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. In terms of other things that make Fudge weak, we didn't really talk about the fact that in the speech of where he's admitting to the return of Satan, he's also saying that, oh yeah, we've also lost control of our soul-sucking grim reapers that are now just roaming the British countryside. Here's a little pamphlet of how you can take steps to protect yourself. This is so British. This is uh, home guard, uh, you know... 80-year-olds tromping around with brooms or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It, it, in, ter- in terms of the various steps you can take, number eight is a stiff cup of tea with a little bit of extra brandy. <laughs> it solves all problems. Uh, biggest surprise of the chapter for me, Mr. Lovegood is apparently a very canny businessman. He's been sitting on he's, he's been sitting on this particular interview that he got early from Harry Potter for free. And has now sold it for an immense profit so that he can go on, as you guys called about, the, the equivalent of Wizarding Safari. Uh, so that's a bit of a reveal about him. I also like that Harry got to spend a little bit of time with Luna Lovegood, and we did too, to get to learn a lot more about how she operates and what is one of my top two favorite moments of this chapter, of seeing that she is a surprisingly self-aware, I'm not sure if it'd be more accurate to call her a Pollyanna or an anti-nihilist, because despite a rather painful life, She's not letting that define her or wrap her up or govern her mood in a way that Harry is feeling both. It allows him to immediately feel a mix of pity, but also empathy from a kindred spirit in that regard, but also then look inward because of it, not only feeling better, but assessing how he handles his own grief. It's Um, also very hmm. interesting in that, like, Harry has role models for basically every one of his problems in the Hmm. people around him, and he is starting to realize that a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, which is good to see that character growth. But it it's very funny how, like, you know, I I guess if, you know, we, we catalog this a little bit better, we probably could find one for everything. But, like, how uh, every, basically everybody around him has, like, a little bit of the, of a problem that Harry Potter is having, like, Hermione fitting into the Wizarding mm-hmm. World because she didn't grow up in it. Mm-hmm. Ron, 
you know, trying to live up to, you know, the standards of his, his older brothers where, yeah. you know, Harry is trying to live up to the standard of his father. Uh, we even have Malfoy uh, basically being the, the uh, looked down upon by his parents and, and, you know, basically not particularly accepted kind of how he is at the Dursleys. I mean, mm-hmm. and he's kind of like, oh, other people exist around me and uh, have their own <laughs> struggles Oh, that's interesting. Some of them have actually dealt with them. Harry is slowly learning the concept of empathy, and it is improving him as a person. Oh, uh, oh, oh he's not at empathy yet. He's he's getting yeah. into sympathy. <laughs> you know what? That's actually a fair distinction. It he's really getting, is. I, yeah. We haven't seen him give back anything at any point. Yeah. And it's, it's like internal. if he hasn't felt it, like it, it, it's just not there. Mm-mm. Yeah. Peter, uh, you talked a little bit about Flitwick. I feel of all the professors, Flitwick is the one I have least of a like a firm hold on his characterization. So I appreciate these little bits that we get each book in terms of that he is remarkably skilled, almost casually skilled in a way that a lot of the, some of the other professors are, but that he also has a distinct sense of humor and a distinct sense of appreciation of skill displayed in the world. I, th- I think that's a really good point. I also think that it fits that he is the head of Ravenclaw House. Um, because I feel like of the houses, we also just get the least about Ravenclaw um, and kind of know, I, I don't know, I, I feel like I, I always feel, like I, I call myself a Ravenclaw, but I always feel like we get less of um, kind of the inner workings of that house. Well, we've we just met fewer of them, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's to the point that when, uh, at the end, when McGonagall is completely tilting the house points, she gets almost halfway through it and then she just almost remembers the retrospect. Oh, right. One of them was a Ravenclaw, weren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A few points for them, too. And, like, the view we get of Ravenclaw from Luna doesn't do anything because well, Luna is such an outsider. outsider in the first place. Anyway, I think it's interesting um, that that's kind of, like, continued to be shrouded in Flitwick as well. It was interesting in terms of the conversation that we saw between Malfoy and Harry from a different perspective. Like, BJ, like you said, Harry got some good licks in. But he also just handled it better than he's ever had before. And I think it's the first of several moments of though Harry's at the worst phase of his grief, but we're seeing that he's actually maturing in a lot of ways in terms of how he's going about these conversations with other characters and other people. And I feel like one of those is Malfoy, where he seems like he's finally hit a state of mind that he's just not letting the guy get under his skin anymore. He's just not letting him get an edge on him in a way that he's never been able to do before, which... As much of a rough journey as Harry's been on, it is moments like this that do remind us that he is growing up. And the fact that Malfoy appears utterly impotent throughout all their confrontations, but not particularly this chapter, but it's even been building in that direction for a while, is notable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think we're, like we're confronting more and more that like Malfoy doesn't matter in the grand scheme of problems. And Harry has that sense and is able to just, like, respond in a way, like, in in the face of my godparent dying, you're being shitty to me. Just, like, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it that I don't have the emotional energy to respond in any other way. Mm-hmm. It, it, I of that old conversation of, for Malfoy, his father getting sent to prison was the most important day in his life. For Harry, it is truly a Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, McGonagall returns, and bookies are pissed in terms of what role she plays in this chapter. <laughs> where they had the bets were in place, and McGonagall's just like, eh, I'm throwing some points on the wall. We don't know what effect it actually has. We're not seeing the result of that. No. Uh, but it's still just, oh, they have literally zero points. I can fix that real quick. Did we know that it was rubies in the hourglass? We did, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's um, kind of silly. I think it's different different colored stones for the different houses. It's rubies yeah. for um, Gryffindor. Raven- Gryffindor, yeah. I, I, I love. Do we know ha- what the 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 different ones are? I assume, I assume it's, it's going to be like emeralds for Slytherin and sapphires for Ravenclaw. Um, Something edible for Hufflepuff. <laughs> just snacks. It's it's nerds. It's nerds are <laughs> just falling in there. No, oh, those little say, ring pop rings that. Are yes, just... I was going to say twi- Twinkies, but <laughs> no, that would just be a, me- a, me- a melted mess by the end of the year. <laughs> they don't go. It's not going to melt. It's not going to go bad. They're Twinkies, Spencer. Nothing goes no, bad sure. in a Twinkie. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, I, In terms of things that are like the most in-character things ever, Hagrid now has a strange monster in the forest. His next thought, how can I breed more of them? 
Oh, Hagrid. Oh. Hadn't thought about it, but yes, that is the thing Hagrid would immediately be thinking about. Also, it it that that that's a little weird. Giants are semi sentient. Like, uh, hey, Hagrid is not the only brother in the story that is trying to hook up. Is trying is trying to hook people up. <laughs> yep. Uh, it, oh God, also... I just had a vision of a Hagrid based dating app, and I am not here for it. Uh, uh, <laughs> Swi- that one swiping right takes on a whole different meaning. Cool. Oh. You swipe and they go flying. Uh, it, 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 it'd be called bumbling around. Mm. <laughs> oh. it, it's also notable that Hagrid is also dead on 100% correct in his assessment and statements on Sirius. In yes. a way that Harry himself has both thought and said out loud in terms of how Sirius operated, what Sirius would have wanted, how Harry himself feels and the reason he went to the ministry in the first place. And in the cold light of day, Harry's going to realize that. And I think he's even realizing that over the course of this chapter, and even, maybe a little bit in the moment, but he's not in the point to accept it in that conversation with, with Hagrid, and Hagrid seems to immediately acknowledge that. So mm-hmm. It was an interesting change in his relationship with Hagrid, because usually he's more comfortable talking to Hagrid, and it's interesting to have seen that change from the early books. Well, and I wonder, it's, I think it's a pretty good indication of like just how... Um, unsteady and out of his own skin that Harry is right now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That he's not getting this comfort from Hagrid. It, it, it's also notable that Hagrid, too, has had his own character arc over the course of his stories. Yeah. Kind of where, mm-hmm. early on, part of the reason he, Harry could always go to Hagrid was because Hagrid was, di- was disconnected. He was unaffiliated with aspects of the main plot of the main story. Now he's another soldier in the trenches. Mm-hmm. He feels the pain here. He feels the sympathy. And in some ways... He may be wanting to have that conversation with Harry because he lost a friend too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great it, friends with Sirius. Um, I I love Harry's description so, of that. Mm-hmm. Was he Go good ahead. friends with Sirius as a human? Great question. <laughs> great question. I don't oh, know. Man, we, I love that. We need to we need to talk with Fang. Fang may be in a rough <laughs> state right now. Oh no. <laughs> uh, I love Harry's description after the conversation of the invisible barrier that separated him from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a wonderful way of putting that. I, lo- I love also that he's realizing it's always been there. He's just now aware of it. That he always has been separate and felt separate, but now he has perspective on that it exists. And it's not something that he can really ever fully assail. It's kind of more his own way of handling it, how he chooses to go about knowing that it's there. Yeah. I think because he always sort of felt it before, but it was always something that he thought was about his background, about his, like, not something about him necessarily, like, something that he could overcome at some point. Well, he always felt it was more like it was somebody else's problem. Like, it was their, the the fact they looked at him was different was something that was wrong with them. Yeah. And now he's at least saying that, no, I'm just, I am different. Mm -hmm. I do have a different story. They're going to look at me that way, but it's not something that I can always just, you know, dismiss. And I also wondered, and we talked, BJ, you've been talking about kindred spirits. I think the conversation mm-hmm. with Dumbledore really helped in terms of him getting perspective on that. Because yeah. I think Dumbledore yeah. exists in reality in that state of always having an invisible barrier separating him from the greater world. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason he's so close to people like Harry's, because that kind of separation would make you desperate for some kind of human contact. Yeah. And this is the point at which, you know, Harry has always fought against that moniker of the chosen one. And now mm-hmm. with the reveal of the prophecy, he literally he, is. He has to be. Um, yeah. Even if he doesn't want to be, he knows he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also like a weird thing to take on as a mantle that he's the chosen one, not because fate chose him or anything else. Yeah. It, he was chosen by Voldemort. Literally <laughs> chosen. The villain. Yeah. yeah. The villain picked his opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Peeves. We appreciate you. <laughs> the the image of him chasing Umbridge out of the room with a sock full of chalk will never fail to amuse me. I love it. Uh, Mick, BJ, I think I think Nichols might have been you know a better idea to go there, but chalk <laughs> chalk will do. Uh, I had forgotten about this gift from Sirius. And I, mm-hmm. Sarah, I hate to jump in for questions, but before we get to my next point, when did he get this gift again? I think. I think it was at the beginning of this book. Yeah, I think it was when they were in Grimmauld Place doing Order of the Phoenix stuff. I believe, I believe that Sirius gave it to him then. Yeah. 
Okay, well, Harry then did a very me in terms of waiting eight months to open a present that he receives. Um, <laughs> and forgetting about it entirely. But it serves a delightful role in this chapter of just adding nothing but pure grain salt right into a wound. Yeah. Of where it gives Harry a moment of hope. Just so it can pull it away. Where... With this, it's a two-way mirror. You can see me at all times and we can see each other. God, would that have been useful over the course of this damn story to solve a lot of the problems that occurred? But now, all it offers is the void. All it offers is Harry staring back at himself, feeling more alone than ever, truly alone with his own image and thoughts. Yep. Well, in a way that is effective. Just remember that when he threw it he and it smashed, he did throw it into his trunk and it smashed, so all of the pieces are still in there. One... That resolves one of my questions, where the implication is, is that all of the little bits are still remaining in a way that can be reformed. Yes. We will see. Or, yeah. And, and or when he tries to unpack his trunk, he'll have bloody hands. He's because... just going to cut the shit out of his hands. <laughs> <laughs> because any piece of glass, tiny piece of glass left anywhere will eventually find its way. Mm-hmm. Uh, another scene among my favorites in the entire chapter is the scene with Nick. Yeah. I really liked that scene. I yep. really hope that scene receives some aspect of adaptation, because I think John Cleese pays Nick, right? He does. Yep. He, mm-hmm. he could act the shit out of this scene if they, if they give him some equivalent of this scene. And it is... I love the well-worn regret that is just steeped in his lines when it comes to this, of how many times he's seen people go through the same thing. How many times he's seen people come to him like yep. Harry to seek some resolution of their grief in a way that he can't offer. Yeah. And while he's not exactly clear why he's so certain that Sirius can't come back, other than that it's just not the norm, it would be, you know, an individual choice, I feel like it is heavily mixed in with his own regrets over, and Sarah, you repeated it perfectly, but his feeble imitation of life. Mm-hmm. It, that is a perspective on Nick that we've never really had about how much he, it was a conscious choice that he now views as cowardice that has left him with a state of being that he does not seem satisfied with. And... In many ways, I feel like he was saying that Sirius is not coming back because he wouldn't want him to come back like the way he is. Yeah. And I think that he also probably knows Sirius well enough to know that, yeah. like, Sirius would not choose, he wouldn't choose that no matter what Harry needs or anybody else needs or whatever. Sirius was not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I feel like another other of the big uh, Harry growing up moments is, we talked about the one with um, Malfoy, we talked about the one with Luna, but even, it's a brief one, but the one with Cho. Of where, yeah. when they're on the train and Cho looks by and she kind of looks at him a little embarrassedly and moves on, Harry just like, okay, I hope she's happy. Yeah. And that is a different Harry than we've seen in a lot of books in terms of his pettiness, his kind of vindictiveness, uh, regardless of reasons or circumstances. As BJ, as you said, he has more important things in his life right now, but it also is I think he's just learned to process pain in a more healthy and productive way than he was able to before. Yeah. Likely mm-hmm. by going through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, the Order of the Phoenix coming to see Harry off is just lovely. Yeah, uh, can we go through that in some detail? That was where my notes broke down in my <laughs> recap. Well, <laughs> Harry arrives by train. His friends are all starting to go off in their own directions. Uh, but then they all start clustering around him and he sees that Lupin, Mad-Eye, Tonks, all right there waiting for him to show up. And mm-hmm. with, with, with the Weasley parents also clustering around to join in, too. Are, are they currently members of the Order of the Phoenix? Are they just historically such? Uh, they are currently order members of the Order yeah. of the Phoenix as well. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Molly uh, is the dead mother. She is the yes. dead mother. Yes. She brings brownies. Uh, but it is a moment of when Harry's, you know, getting ready to confront the Dursleys the way he does every single year. But now he has friends. Now he has a world that is demonstrating he is not alone, and they are here to speak for him. They are here to offer the conversation that Dumbledore should have had on day fucking one of handing Harry over to these people. That, hey, we like this kid. He's great. We get you don't. But if you express that in the real world, we'll take it out of you. Yep. Mm -hmm. And also, the Moody revealing the eye was just a... That was almost a literal wink to the audience right there in terms of that reveal. Uh, but it, it, Moody was making no... He was not making so, any effort... Yeah, but would you say that he was making eyes at Mr. Dursley? I don't ship that. He... So, no. Made eye. Which is somehow <laughs> dirtier? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. Weird. Ow. Uh, but it, Moody is just... 
Uh, man, sign me up for his course on effective deadpan threatening because I'm I'm sufficiently intimidated from that conversation. Mm-hmm. But is it the point? The point of this is Harry's been throughout this chapter feeling like he's got a divide, like he's got an invisible wall while he's dealing with his emotions. It feels like he's dealing with them alone, and suddenly here at the end, he is confronted directly with the fact that no, 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 you have friends, you have people that care, and you are not, and you will never be alone, no matter how much you may feel that way at times. That's a good moment for the character, and it's a good moment for everyone to have that. And as a final, more humorous note, the fact that Fred and George are wearing the Wizzly equivalent of an alligator or crocodile suit yes. really freaking tracks. Yes. That's great. I'm so excited to get to the beginning of the next book for this. <laughs> Their arc what? makes me so happy. <laughs> they have an arc? Well, they have things they do. They, do. they have a chaos wheel that goes <sighs> right along a- with them. I, I am ready for it. But before we get there. Yes. There, we had a lot of characters and a lot of locations. Oh, a lot my of gosh. I don't know. This is we a, even I saw mean, house points awarded. We Harry, did. Harry is a winner. Like, Harry is a winner. Yeah. We're at the end of the book. And, like, clearly. At He's the, in a good spot. He has. His friends came to it. Like, the, the graph of his where he ends up was, like, pretty steady low throughout with a little bump when Luna made him feel better, mm-hmm. and then just rapidly rises over the last three paragraphs of this chapter. Um, mm-hmm. I think we can term Harry. I think we can turn Harry, term Harry a winner here. I think Malfoy might have lost this chapter. Yeah, it's, we, we talked before about how effective Malfoy was getting under Harry's skin, about his Machiavellian plans, and how well that they would work in terms of you know. Even Rube Goldberg style, getting the, the entire school behind his various, you know, shenanigans. And here at the end, he comes across in two separate moments as just completely and utterly an impotent distraction. Mm-hmm. Like, Harry basically ignores him and is almost about to kick his ass with a wand there in the hallway. I mean, Harry literally catches him on the draw. Malfoy's about to be flying across the room. Yep. And then at the end, the entire train gangs up on him. <laughs> do it's literally what happens <laughs> yeah just the 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 words that you have next to each other train gangs it... is <laughs> uh, but yeah I'm... i mean flipping it around would be worse but you know yeah I... um so yeah i like it's interesting because <laughs> i like the um i like the idea that here at the end of the book there's actually this a little bit of return to normalcy where malfoy is where Malfoy is losing. Yeah. Is losing. It's, it's been a while. It's sort of pedestrian, and I kind of like it. Yeah. It, it, it's also just, the we're in a stage of when the second, war, the second war is beginning. Yeah. Of where everyone is setting sides, everyone is setting camps, everyone's intimidated by the fact that violence is going to be back in the streets. And there's a moment of where, okay, a villain tries to attack the hero on the train, the train rises up and stops the villain. Yes. That there's a, it's a nice little societal moment of, okay, there are forces at work here that are here to fight for the side of good, even against the most petty of bullying. I would also nominate for um, runner-up winners and losers, uh, Fudge also loser in this <laughs> chapter. Um, <clears throat> the uh, yeah. Luna's father winner of this chapter. Mm-hmm. I will take no comments or notes on that. <laughs> Done. Questions? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start. Uh, so we're all in agreement that Ron is totally trying to play matchmaker between Ginny and Perry right here at the end of this chapter. He, he's yeah. winking suggestively at Harry in terms of talking about his sister at several moments. That's true. I don't know. Ron is in a weird place here because he's also just so furious at Jenny um, dating Never. anyone that it's just, his his feelings on the subject are a little tough to tease out. There also seems feels like there's a little bit of if they're together, I can hang out with my best friend more. Oh yeah, um, that 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 is such a weird that like I don't know it, it it's a weird feel to to that whole thing. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it's fair. I don't have a better answer than that, Spencer. Okay, I wanted to see if there there was some. You guys were on the same page that there was some. Oh yeah, interesting there, implication there. There's definitely some. It is complicated by Ron not dealing with feelings well. Oh, well, let's add to that list. Uh, when Harry says he's never going to forgive Snape, 
Is there a... I'm trying to remember exactly. Is there a specific thing that he's grounding that in other than hating Snape is just his lodestone? Uh, Snape stopped the schoolyard fight. Um, I think that it was uh, actually... I think it's actually for um, Snape goading, continuing to goad Sirius about staying in the house. I think that Harry blames Snape. Harry, first and foremost, blames himself for Sirius's death, but he also, in trying to deflect some of that blame and make himself feel a modicum better, um, Mm. blames Snape for it. And if Harry were more of an adult, he would be frustrated with Snape for not being the adult in the occlumency situation. Correct. Uh, Which he, like, half gets to with his... He gets part of the way there in his conversation with Dumbledore, but he can't quite... He can't quite make the leap. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, but also that that he's trying to take points away from Harry, I think is the other like I'm angry at you. For he's that. yeah, he's angry for a lot of reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an interesting scene too because Snape came across as not being particularly Snape-like in his confrontation with Harry there, mm-hmm. of where he didn't antagonize him, he didn't you know add much. He just saw okay that you guys are fighting and you guys are fighting in the halls. I've caught you literally pulling a gun on another student. I'm gonna take points away from you. But he doesn't editorialize. He doesn't try to put Harry down. He says, okay, Harry, put the Ron away. I'm taking ten points away. Yeah. And that was about the whole of the conversation. And then McGonagall walks up, and Snape seems more excited than we've ever seen him, but he actually seems excited to see that she's out of the hospital. So two things. One, uh, I think that Snape got a talking to from Dumbledore. <laughs> I think uh, so, too, yes. the shit down. Yeah. B- but also just like, hey, like, you caused a lot of these problems. Like... Uh-huh. If yeah. it weren't for your failures, Sirius might be alive. Yeah. And, like, you have to deal with that. And I, I, I think that as much as you disliked the whole crew, this is a couple steps too far. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have loved to have been that, there for conversation, because I almost feel like it wouldn't have went down exactly like that, as compared to the conversation Dumbledore had with Harry, where he's trying to put it all on himself, that when yeah. he goes and talks to Snape, he's like, okay, I talk with Harry, I put it all on me, but let's have an honest conversation about what really happened here, my friend. I would also, I just want to point out, I I am so excited that you pointed out, Spencer, that Snape was glad to see McGonagall out of the hospital because there is a ton of chatter online that is my favorite thing and many compilation videos about Snape and McGonagall being besties. And it makes me so happy. God, I would love if they were, you know, like, you know, um, a Scalia and Ginsburg. They're going Mm -hmm. to the opera together quietly when nobody's watching. Uh It would just be great. Yes. Um, I, th- I think it might be a little bit, I-, I think some of the implications, at least with the people putting together the compilations, is, is a little bit further than that, but yes. Well, of course they are. It's the Harry Potter community. They have shipped everything <laughs> and everyone, and sometimes the everything with the everyone. <laughs> um, any other questions? Uh, I've got one more, but BJ, you got any? Uh, does McGonagall have... Two more. At least some of Tartan everything. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good. All is right with the universe. Yeah. It is. There is one piece of Tartan on her at all times. Um, and for festive occasions, there are more. Is it a house Tartan? Oh, that's a great question. Mm. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to look up some pictures of McGonagall and just see. <laughs> <laughs> How how they have handled this. Does it look like it is perhaps a Gryffindor-related... Sarah's going on McGonagall's Facebook page. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Spencer, you have some more questions. Uh, is a crumple-horned snork... Is it snork-ack or snork-ack? Snork-ack. Is that, is that a real thing that exists in the universe, or is it actually mythical? Um, it's... I, so it's one of those things that is like... Uh, are the love goods haunting yeti hunting yeti or is this a thing that like the universe just doesn't um, is it a coelacanth or is it a yeti i would like to point out that i just went on the harry potter wiki for it and the status underneath it the affiliation is with the lovegood family and the status for it is mythical parentheses most likely <laughs> 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 okay, you can't you can't do better than that. Thank you, Wiki. Perfectly uh-huh. summarized. Yep. Uh, well, last one for me while you're still checking the tartan is: were we? 
I was almost surprised to find out that Lucius Malfoy was in prison. He's dodged everything else to date when it comes to this. Is there any other further blowback on his family um, beyond just Malfoy being pissed? I mean, are any of the rest of them under investigation? Are the rest of them in prison? Or will more of that be explored in the next book or so? More of that will be explored. Um, okay. Raffo! The, the fallout of that will... Yeah, the fallout of that will be something that we learn about. So it, it, this is the British system. If the patriarch goes to prison, the family's getting affected. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, this this is the kind of thing of, we'll take the refugees, but we're putting them in internment camps, way of British handling crises. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the internet does not have a specific um, answer uh, to this. I consider this a win, where I have questions and theories about Harry Potter that aren't on the internet yet. Um, I mean, there are, like, people are talking about it, but they don't... Um, have an answer. Have an answer. The there You can, however, buy a Gryffindor tartan from CuriousAndUnusualTartans.com. <laughs> can you buy a Ravenclaw one? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, hmm. Apparently, March 22nd is Gryffindor Pride Day, though. Interesting. I don't um, know. Like they need a holiday. They got the best branding of any of the houses. <laughs> um, so that's what I've got for you. Okay. So, uh, Spencer. I, I don't have a chapter I can look at. Oh, yeah. So sad, Spencer. It I can is. help you out. I, so, what, the chapter title is The Other Minister. The Other and... Minister? What in the it's, hell is that? Is that a jester hat he's wearing? The, no, those it, horns? It, it's like, uh, it, it, it's a wig. Oh, okay. It's like I a, see the you know, a, a very British uh, <laughs> curled wig. And he looks like he could be a gnome, like given the size and like the portrait and the proportions. I don't think he is, but like, it, it's a thing. Okay. What is the name of the next book? I do not know. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I don't even know what that's a reference to. Uh, we had some reference to that in earlier books. Have we, sir? Well, to the idea of half-bloods, yeah. Well, half-blood, yes, but the idea of a royalty driven by the fact of a half-blood status, so that being a, a you know, a proper noun figure in the universe? No, I thought, we had not heard that. I thought we had a quick mention at some point. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just misremembering. Okay. I mean, okay, let me, give, give me a half second. Voldemort is a half-blood, right? Correct. Yep. And always it's? mad about it. Yep. Yeah. Could that be then? Is he, he he's assigning royalties to his status, or in some way, or that's a figure as a result of him? This is um, a driving question of the next book. Therefore, <laughs> I cannot answer it. <laughs> well, I, I imagine we'll be starting sometime in the next year. But when we do, guys, I'm looking forward to it. BJ, last question for you: How many chapters are in Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince? Since you have it in front of you, I do have. Well, it looks like a thick tome. Well. Uh, it is it is surprisingly short. It only has thirty chapters, and it is way smaller, shorter than mm-hmm. the book that we just read. What should we do? A New Year's resolution here at the end of twenty twenty three and at the end of book five. Can we get Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince done in twenty twenty four? I'm willing to commit to it. Okay, I mean, I think that's all we need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that very shut up kind of moment. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, y'all. This has been fun, y'all.